And before we get started in God's word, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time that we get to come and worship you. To know that our feeble praises reach the ears of an almighty, holy God. We thank you that we have the capacity and the ability to be here this morning. To hear from your word. God, I thank you so much for giving us your word so long ago. Or for giving us direction, for giving us wisdom, for helping us understand our need for a relationship with you. God, we thank you that you made that relationship personal when you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, taking all of our sins upon his body, bearing that shame, that pain. But three days later, rising again, we're so thankful. We know that the resurrection is real. We know that one day we too shall rise, and it is because of that glorious work that was done so long ago. Father, we ask that you would be with us today. Speak to us. Draw us close to you. Let it be your words that are spoken and not mine. Let me simply be your mouthpiece today. Let us receive your word. Lord, let us have open eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be looking at just a couple of verses today. And today we want to talk about, we're continuing our theme, our series that we talked about, I Love My Church. And we've talked about a few things with I Love My Church Uh, Over the last several weeks, we've talked about our church being relevant. We've talked about our church being authentic. We've talked about it being biblical and missional and so many things. And today, we're going to talk about the theme of my church is excellent. My church is excellent. And really, there was a phrase that was written in a book uh, called Breakout Churches by Tom Rainer. And he makes this statement in there that is so true and, and so needed for us to understand today. And he simply says this. It is a sin to be good when God has called you to be great. Think about that. It is a sin to be good when God has called you to be great. And he's talking about the church. He's talking about in everything that we do as a church, we ought to have the mindset that everything we do is going to be done with absolute excellence. We're going to do it to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are going to give it 110%. Now, in saying that, oftentimes people will accept positions in the church. And I wonder if you've ever done that. You accept a position in the church, but you really don't want it. You ever done that before? Somebody ever guilted you into something? Come on. It's church. I know you've been guilted into something before, right? You've been guilted into taking a position. You do it. You really don't want to do it. You don't give 110%. You might give 50% if that. And you just stand back and you say, well, Lord, I did my best. And you know in your heart, you did not. That happens all too often in the church. And we don't give God everything that he deserves. Now, you think about this. If you did your job here in the church, serving, doing the ministry that God has called you to do, knowing that he is watching you every step of the way, knowing that he sees everything you say and everything you do and everything you plan, knowing that you're preparing it for his presence and for his glory, might that change the way you serve? Well, I hope so. And the truth is, he does all that. He sees everything. And so we ought to be able to do it with excellence. Here's the thing. I would never go before a king and wear i just say this. I would never go before a king and not give him my best. Just wouldn't happen. And I certainly wouldn't go before the king of kings and not give him my best. 
So when you think about that, whenever we do, however we serve, and everything we do in this life, it ought to be done with absolute and utter excellence. So let's talk about it today. We're going to look at four areas to an excellent church. The first thing we're going to look at is the theme of an excellent church. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You think about that. You do it all to the glory of God. If you're doing everything you do in your life, now you think about this. This even includes where you work. Now, I want to emphasize that. Why? Because where you work is where those who are outside the church see your actions and wonder if they're real. You see, we do everything we do, not for ourselves, not to earn a buck, not to be able to have the things that we have. We should do everything we do for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, now you think about that. I'm telling you, whether you eat or drink, you do it for the glory of God. In other words, you don't use your liberties to go against God. You use the liberties that God has given you to glorify his name. That's what he's talking about there in the book of Corinthians. Everything we do, if we're not doing it with an excellent spirit, what are we doing it for? Are we just doing it to fill time? Are we just doing it to get a paycheck? What are we doing it for? Now, I need you to understand a few things. When you think about this, that means that everything that we do is about him and not us. So think about this for a few moments. That means that your life is about him, not you. Now, I know that just blows your mind because you're always told to look out for number one. But the truth is your life is not for you. Your life is for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 tells us that we were created for his glory. Not our own, for his glory. In other words, every action, everything we do in this life, it ought to be to glorify his name. I'm going to tell you this. Forgiveness is also for the glory of God, not for your sake. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Well, you think about this. How much has God forgiven you? Just sit back and think about that for a moment. And when you show unforgiveness to anyone... It's not for what? It's not glorifying God because God is a God of mercy and grace. And the moment that we seek repentance, he forgives us. And so therefore, forgiveness is to the glory of God, not about us. Now, I'm going to tell you here some other things. Ministry is not about you, but it's all about God. When you serve, it's not so that you get credit. It's not so that somebody comes up to you and says, man, you did a wonderful job. One of the hardest things I've ever had is somebody coming up to me and saying, that was an excellent message. And all I want to say is, all glory to God, because it wasn't me. Ministry is not about me. It's not about you. It's all about God. It is not about getting credit for anything that is done. It's about bringing glory to God. You need to understand, preachers are not about you. They're about God. Now, I know you, you might say, well, doesn't that kind of go with the other one? No, it does not. And I'm going to explain to you why. All right? Some people have the mindset that a preacher is supposed to sit at your bedside and hold your hand while you go through difficult situations. Scripture tells you that preachers are supposed to do what? Preach the Word of God and pray for you. We have made pastors something Scripture never made them. And a lot of people say, well, there's a difference between a pastor and a preacher. Obviously, you don't read the Scriptures. Because there is no difference. There's absolutely none. You've just made it what you want it to be. You want it to be about you. And here's another thing. I'll be honest with you. There are people coming to me and say, I really don't like what you preached. I really don't care. Because I'm not preaching for you. I'm preaching for him. 
you got to understand, it's not about us. Here's the thing, church is not about you, it's about him. This isn't our house, this is his house. Okay? Now, granted, I love to be able to tell people I'm the pastor of Hillcrest Baptist Church, but can I tell you something? That doesn't mean a hill and a beam. All right? What it simply means is God has given me the privilege to be able to pastor here. It is by his grace and by his glory. And if anything that's done here, I take no credit for it because I did nothing for it. It is his church. It is his house. His name is what belongs here, not mine. It's all about him. I also tell you this. Discipleship is not about you. It's about him. You got to understand that because the idea of growing in Christ is what it's all about. It's not about getting the kind of discipleship that I want. Tell you something else. Worship is not about you. It's about him. I always love it when people come up and complain about the music. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you ever come to me and complain about the music, here's what I'm going to tell you. I didn't know we were singing to you. We're not singing to you. We're not singing for you. We're not singing about you. It has no, Worship has nothing to do with us. There are these things called worship wars going in churches. Well, I believe our church should be blended. I believe our church should be contemporary. I believe our church should be traditional. Well, you can believe all you want. I just want to be glorifying God. That's all it's about. It's about exalting Him. You obviously need to understand this. Missions is not about you. It's all about God. Some people say, well, I get such a good feeling when I go on missions. Again, it was not about you. It wasn't about you get the feelings. What it was about was it was about spreading the gospel and doing what God has called us to do. And it's about glorifying his name so that people will come to know Jesus Christ. You need to understand that outreach is not about you, but it's all about Jesus. You know, we do these things where we're giving out the blankets not to feel good, not to say, well, we did something to help the homeless. No, we did it because we want to glorify God. We don't want to just give them a blanket. We want to share the gospel with them, and we want to change their lives forever, not just a blanket. Fellowship is not about you, but it's about the glory of God. I love fellowshipping with different people in the church. This, this whole week, we've been out with whole, several different groups and had a great time. Why? Because we love to glorify God when we get together with other believers. Why? Because everything that we do as Christians is about the glory of God, and it's not about me. If we as Christians could just get that theme right, where we realize that it is not about us, we will change the world forever. But you got to get the theme right. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Turn with me to Romans 12. We're going to see the next three found in Romans chapter 12. That's the theme of an excellent church. We're going to be looking at verse 11. Secondly, to see the actions of an excellent church. Romans 12 verse 11. Just the very first part. Romans 12 verse 11. Not slothful in business. Not slothful in business. Slothful, that's really easy. We know what a sloth is, right? Okay. It's okay. I know it's Baptist, but you can talk. It's okay. Slothful, lazy, all right? Have you ever met somebody that you would call lazy? Somebody who doesn't like to roll out of the bed. Somebody who always has an excuse not to do something. Slothful, somebody who just doesn't have the energy to even do the smallest little thing that you ask them to do. The idea of being slothful as a church is we cannot be that way. We can't be slothful. We can't be lazy. We have to be excellent in every action we do. At our first church in North Carolina, we had a 
major problem with the yard. In fact, we'd end up with a lake every time we'd get some heavy rain right in the front yard of the church. Now, it was kind of cool, but not so cool because we would sit there with this pond in front of the church and people would wonder what's going on because it wouldn't make it to the road. So we had to do some work. So we went out there and we had refaced a building. So we had taken all the brick chips and we had thrown them in the yard and then we put some soil over it. Well, before we were going to sow the yard, we went out there to pick up the rocks. Have you ever had to do that before? Pick up the rocks so that the seed will stick a little and, and have a little bit better chance. So we go out there and it's me and a couple of guys, our youth pastor and one of our youth. And we put the wheelbarrow out there and we're supposed to be picking up rocks and putting it in the wheelbarrow. And within the first minute, I hear, Kobe. Kobe, my youth pastor and the youth, they're having a competition, shooting rocks. And then they walk around for another minute, and then they find one, they pick it up, and they go, Kobe. And they would never hit the wheelbarrow. They didn't help at all. And I finally went over to my youth pastor. I said, dude, we're over here picking up the rocks and the ones that you miss all over the wheelbarrow. We're putting them into the wheelbarrow. I know you're having fun. But the problem is, is we got to get this done because they're coming to sow the yard today. We got to get the work done. We need to be doing it with an excellent heart and not just out here playing games with it. Can I tell you, a lot of us treat ministry and the service to the Lord like that. Well, if it gets done, it gets done. Somebody, here's the thing that always blows, this is what always bothers me. Well, I'm not going to do it, but somebody else will. That's not a good heart. Can I just tell you, if God has placed it on your heart, and that's, that's one of the things that I absolutely love when people come to me and they say, Brother John, I feel like God is telling us that we need to start this ministry. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm so glad that God has put that on your heart. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to now go devise a plan. You bring it back to me. Show me what you're going to do with it. And then let's implement it. Let's make it happen. And you're going to be in charge of it. Usually they go, no, Brother John, God has told the church they need to do this. No, no, he's told you to do this you see here's the thing we all the time think that somebody else will fill in but the actions of an excellent church says that we're going to be diligent even diligent all the way on to death i love the book of ecclesiastes it has so many wise things but in ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 he says whatsoever thy hand findeth to do do it with thy might for there is no work nor device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave whether thou goest in other words we all know we're going to the grave, so as long as we have life, we ought to be about working and serving. Here's the thing. We never know when our time is going to be up. We have no idea, but as long as we have breath. I've told that to many a person. I've had some older folks tell me, why does God still have me here? And, and the answer is very simple. God still has something for you to do. Until you breathe your last breath, God has work for you to do. The moment you tell him you're done... That's when you're in trouble. I had a lady in my first church tell me that. We went to their Sunday school class, and I asked her. I asked the whole class. I'm like, we need some help with children's church. We need some people to help fill in, and we're asking each Sunday school class to fill in a week. And she looked at me, and she goes, I've done my time. I said, okay. I said, well, Miss Jerry, if that's true, if you've done your time and you have nothing left to be used of God, he's going to take you home. I've done my time. A month later, she had a stroke. She was gone. I don't ever tell God I'm done. He can wear me out as long as he wants to. Because the truth is, the action of an excellent church is one that says, I would rather burn out than rust out. 
I want to serve. I want to go. I want to do whatever God has called me to do. We've got to imitate the saints. The book of Hebrews talks about the saints and the work that they did in Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 10, it says this, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. In other words, we've had those that have gone before us that have served. Can I tell you something? Hillcrest has an amazing history. Does it not? There have been some amazing people that have served in this church. I can tell you one. His name was Crockett Carr. If you know Crockett, you know that Crockett was a man of God who served the Lord, who wanted nothing but the glory of God to be shown in everything that he did. When you see people like that, we've had in our history those that have shown us what it means to serve the Lord, how to serve him with a perfect heart, how to serve him with a loyalty. You've seen people like that. And he says, here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Seeing as how you've seen that in the past, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Serve the Lord with diligence. Don't be lazy. I love the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs talks about the lazy man makes all kinds of excuses. Oh, I can't go out to work today. There's a lion in the street. Oh, I can't go out and sow seed today. It's winter. I can't do this. I can't. It says a lazy man has a hard time even turning on his bed. A lazy man has a hard time even bringing the spoon to his mouth. The idea here is that we're not called to be lazy. We're called to serve with all of our heart and soul and mind. We ought to have diligence, which means we put action into everything we do. So he says, not slothful in business. It makes me think of the parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25. He gave five talents to one and two talents to another and one talent to another man. The one who had five talents went out and made five more talents and he thanked him. He told him, he said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The one that had two went out and made two more. He said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But the one who had one went and hid his talent in the ground. And when he appeared before his master, he said, he said, master, I knew you to be an astute man. He said, so I took and I hid it so that I could give it back to you when you came back. And he said, you wicked and lazy servant. Please understand, that's not about money. That is about the gifts that God has given you to serve him in the ministry he's called you to serve him in. And so often people put it and hide it and they don't use it for the glory of God. And one day they're going to stand before God and he's going to say, you wicked and lazy servant. I wouldn't want to hear those words. How about you? But can I tell you something? I just want, you need to know something so desperately. It's simply this. God doesn't need more Christians sitting in the pews. He needs more Christians on their feet serving him. Amen. We've got to get to the point where every one of us, you may say, well, Brother John, I don't know what my gift is. Come find out. We'll help you find out what your gift is. We'll help you find a place of ministry. We'll help you find your place to serve. The problem in the church today, they say, is the 20-80 principle. 20% 20 of the people do 80% of the work. I told them earlier today, I said, I think Hillcrest is a little bit different. We might be the 30-70. 30% of the people do 70% of the work. I want to get to a point where it's 100% of the people are doing 100% of the work because that's what honors and glorifies God. The actions of an excellent church are to not be slothful in business. The attitude is next. The attitude of an excellent church is found right after that, fervent in spirit. The idea of being fervent means to boil, to boil. Now, it doesn't mean to boil in a sense to evaporate, but it means to have sufficient heat to produce energy necessary to get the work done. The idea is being willing to burn out for the Lord. 
I'm going to tell you, we're living in a day and age that is kind of scary. And a lot of people and a lot of pastors, I've heard them declare this. But what's scary is that we are living in a day that seems like the church of Laodicea, doesn't it? In Revelation 3 and verse 16, he says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I wonder if you guys have ever put something in your mouth that you didn't like the taste of. You ever done that? You spray it everywhere. God says that's the church that's lukewarm. That's the Christian that is lukewarm. He wants to spew them out of his mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. And thou mayest be rich in white raiment. That thou mayest be clothed and that the same of the nakedness do not appear. And anoint thy eyes with thyself that thou mayest see. In other words, you want to know what he told that church? It's time for you to pick a side. God doesn't want fence riders. God doesn't want you just sitting there saying, well, I don't know. I'll choose eventually. No, he wants you to choose now. You can either be hot, you can be cold. That's better than being lukewarm. You can either be on fire for him or you can sit on the sidelines and do nothing for him. He wants you to choose who you want to be. But here's what you need to understand. Those that are hot for the Lord, that are ready to serve the Lord, they will enter into heaven and they'll hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Those that are cold, that are sitting on the sidelines, not doing anything for the Lord, the only thing they're going to hear is, depart from me, you wicked servant. That's what he's going to say. You see, the whole point is to have the right attitude. I'm going to tell you, there is nothing like seeing kids with bad attitudes, is there? How many of you have ever asked your child to go do something and they stomp away? How many of you have ever said, I will stomp your fanny in a mud hole if you do that again? Right? I mean, you ask, go clean your room. And then you go up there and it's not clean. Can I tell you, a lot of Christians treat God the same way. God says, I want you to go share the gospel with that person. No, I, I can't do it. I'm too shy. I want you to read your Bible. Lord, I just, I don't understand it, so I can't read it. Well, I want you to pray for so-and-so. No, I don't really like so-and-so, so I can't pray for them. I want you to go over and I want you to forgive that person. No, you don't know what they've done to me, Lord. We can come up with every kind of excuse for why we don't do the things that God has called us to do. And the thing is, is it's our attitude. It is a rebellious attitude that says, God, I know what's best for my life more than you do. But those of an excellent heart, those that want to be a part of an excellent church, say, God, whatever you want, However you want, I'm going to do whatever you've called me to do, and I will burn out for you. I'm going to tell you, there have been so many godly missionaries over the years that have done exactly just that. Willing to give their lives. Willing to give it their all for the glory of God. I think of one, his name was David Borden. His parents owned Borden Milk. He was, he was an amazing man who was going to serve the Lord. He felt God had called him to missions. He could have stayed home and lived off of his parents' legacy and just gathered riches all the rest of his life. But he said, you know what? God has called me to go to Africa, and God has called me to share the gospel with those people. He went over there. Within a month's time, he contracted malaria, and he died. Now, a lot of people look at that and say, oh, my goodness, what, what happened? Why, why would God allow something like that to happen? Can I tell you that his death sparked a missionary movement like we've never seen before? It sparked a group of people that said, you know what, this is, this is what we're going to do. We know that this is what God is calling us to do, that we need to go, and we need to be willing to risk our lives for the glory of God. We're going to burn out for the Lord. Through his death, God was able to do more than he would have through his life. Are you willing to be that kind of servant for the Lord? we got to have the right attitude. 
We've got to have the right actions, the right theme. Lastly, we've got to have the right service. Look at the end of verse 11. It says, serving the Lord. I love that term, servant. It does not bother me at all. And here's why. Because in biblical times, there were many servants. But the one it makes me think of is the one that Paul calls himself. And it's the same kind of servant that I am. I'm a bond servant. And I hope you are too. A bond servant is one who has been freed by their master. But because of their love for their master, they are willing to give up their freedom. I've been freed from my sins through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I owed a debt I could not pay. And he paid it for me. And he freed me. But I'm here to tell you because of my love for that master, because of my love for the one who loved me more than anybody in this world, I freely give myself to him to serve him. And that's what I hear people say all the time. It costs you nothing for salvation. And that is absolutely true. He did it all. But I'll tell you this, it costs you everything to live as a Christian. Because Jesus himself said, if you're going to come follow me, you got to take up your cross and deny yourself and come follow me. We have to. You see, the service of an excellent church is one that says, everything I do is going to be for the Lord. I'm going to serve him with all my heart. Paul said that every time he called himself a bondservant. A bondservant was one who literally took his ear and put it up against the door And the master took an awl and a hammer and he nailed his ear to the door. He was willing to give up his freedom so much that he was willing to be marred for his master. The question is, are you willing to be marred for your master? Are you willing to serve him with all that you are? You see, I say all this to simply say that an excellent church is one of those churches that when there's a need, the need doesn't last very long. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you have been out Christmas shopping? Anybody been out Christmas shopping? How many of you are looking for the hot new gift? All right. I'm, I'm looking for a PS5. All right. Impossible. You know what's amazing about this? And, and I bring, there is a point behind this. I can go into a store and I can ask every time, do you have a PS5? Nope, we don't have any. We sold them out. We had them and they were gone within 10 minutes. Walmart put them online. They were sold in less than a minute. I mean, they're flying off the shelves just like this. And I was like, man, that's, that's incredible. I mean, they're just, they're going, they're going. Could you imagine a church that the moment a need comes up, by the time you get to the person you need to get to, they're already going, it's already been filled. It's already been filled. Thank you for your service, and, and we'll find some other place for you to serve. Could you imagine if a church was like that, instead of us having to beg and beg? And beg. We need help in the nursery. We need help with children's church. We need help in this area. Could you imagine? An excellent church is one that says, you know what? There's a need. I feel I have the heart to fill that need. So I'm going to go do it. And if we could just get as excited about the hot Christmas gift. And get excited about the service to the Lord. We will be the excellent church God desires us to be.